Well, hello White Sox fans. How you guys doing tonight? Welcome to another episode of White Sox Daily Live. My name is Ian Eskridge, and I am here as always with my co-host, the Danny Miller. How you doing, Danny? Uh, not too bad. I uh, am uh, enjoying a uh, evening of uh, non-White Sox baseball here at the house with the fam and the dogs. Uh, you know, just uh, trying to stay dry. How you doing tonight, man? I'm not doing too bad, you know. Um, was supposed to uh, have a baseball game with the boy today, and uh, that did not happen uh, due to rain. So that made my life a lot easier and less stressful as well. Um, on top of the no White Sox baseball, so a lot lower stress. Um, right. <laughs> so the White Sox finished off a... Uh, two-and-one trip to Tampa, and um, I don't know as if I necessarily feel great about it, because I still see a lot of the same problems. Uh, The one thing that I see happening, though, is that the numbers for a lot of the important gentlemen in the lineup are starting on their way up, and there's a bunch of guys that are coming in and doing more or less what Brian Goodwin and Billy Hamilton did last year, which was provide at least somewhat of a spark and, you know, put some offense up there, you know? I mean, we've been watching Dead Men Walking for, you know, about a, about a <laughs> month and a half now. So the um, additional uh, offense is certainly uh, nice to see. So... Um, how you feeling about the uh, the turn of events for the last week? Uh, about the same. Uh, I'm noticing uh, some you know bats seem to be coming around. Uh, some guys are taking a little bit more uh, pitches, even taking some walks here and there, uh, putting some guys on base. Still leaving a lot of base runners stranded, which is uh, you know one of those things that you, you you hope you don't see a whole lot of. Uh, every team's going to do it, you know, some. But, uh, you know, when you, you put up 16 hits in a single game like the White Sox did yesterday, you kind of expect uh, to see some more runs scored than the six that they did. And you'd like to see continued scoring throughout a game instead of, you know, getting four in the first and two in the second and then just dying, fizzling completely. But uh, all in all, um, yeah, I kind of like the direction of the way I'm, I think things are going right now. I'm seeing – some progress and uh you know you you talk about some guys uh coming back we know uh lance lynn and aloy jimenez are doing uh some things down in rehab in uh in the minor leagues and uh you know that's always a, a welcome uh a welcome addition when they do come back you know you hope that uh they could provide that spark that we've been talking about that the team seems to be missing but uh yeah uh you know Gotta love, gotta love what you're seeing from Jake Berger these days. Uh, you know he's putting the bat on the ball quite a bit, and a lot of those are uh, making their way through. Uh, some of them are making their way out. Uh, you know, I I hope it's a trend that continues, and uh, you know things kind of start to move on the up and up. You know, I, I'm pretty sure you probably saw the uh, tweet from uh, Jake Huda the other day about how uh, the White Sox in '83. After 25 yeah. games, we're at the same uh, record they were in '83 now as they are now. 
And then uh, the record after 50 games was the same in 83. And then, you know, he showed that uh, they finished the season at, you know, 99 wins that year. Uh, what he didn't talk about was how that season finished in the postseason for the White Sox. But, uh, you know, uh, another first-round exit would be extremely disappointing this year. But, you know, all in all, can't uh, can't say that I don't like the upward trend. Well, I mean, yeah, you can say that uh, first-round exit, but they did make it to the ALCS. So, well, oh. <laughs> Different playoff format back then. <laughs> yeah, but hey, if they make it to the ALCS, at least you could see it as somewhat of a uh, a progression, you know? Um, yeah, but I, I agree with you. Uh, the Jake Berger stuff is is fantastic to see. Um, how do you – now, I, I've seen a bunch of people saying that they want to try Moncada back out at second base, which I am personally not on board with. Uh, because he's a better defender at third base than Jake Berger. And if you flip, you know, and put Jake Berger at third and then put Yohan Moncada back at second, you're essentially getting yourself worse defensively at two positions. So I don't, I don't really see the point in doing that. Um, but how do you feel with the way the stick has been going of moving Jake to second base? as a fixture there? Um, well, I would love to see his bat in the lineup every day, the way things are going right now. Uh, does that continue to go that way? It's hard to really tell. Uh, you know, he had some playing time last year, but as we've talked about in the past here, <clears throat> you know, uh, there seems to be a certain almost numbered amount of at-bats for guys who can be considered rookie ball players before pitchers start to kind of figure them out and uh, change things up. And uh, Jake hasn't hit that yet. Jake hasn't hit that number. And when that number comes up, is our pitchers going to figure him out? Is he going to go into, you know, a sort of mini slump like a lot of these guys do when that happens? And uh, if that happens, are the White Sox going to allow him to find his way and make the adjustments of his own? and come back and, you know, kind of find the exit of that slump. You know, after the other, the, you know, it was another numbered amount of at-bats. And I think, what do we say? That, it's that, about, that the e- it's about time, equal. You know, it's about, yeah, uh, it's I think it's about 150 and, and 150 is usually where Somewhere it in there. ends up. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I'm all for giving Jake a shot at second base. Uh, defensively. I don't know where he stands. We saw a little bit of him working on his footwork. We saw some video in the offseason working on uh, his, his footwork at uh, you know making the turn on the double play. <laughs> yeah, and, and the video was, was less than inspiring. Good. I'm going to say that. But, uh, you know, it's not like the defense has been exactly great there this season anyway. And like you say, if we're going to get worse defensively at a position, I'd rather it be one position than two. So yeah, I'm all for giving Jake a shot at second base. Let him hang out there. Let him let him stay there at least until the bat falters, you know. And then you can revisit it again. But as of right now, with the White Sox being solidly stuck in third place, and uh, you know, w- way more games back out of first than in a division that you thought you were going to win handily, uh, I would like to see the offense kind of find its way. Yeah. So I'm all for it. 
The the only issue that I have with, I mean, obviously we know that uh, Berger's not a second baseman by trade. Um, I heard it on six seventy the score. Uh, a friend of the uh, of Twitter world, Triple uh, A Jeff, who's a future Sox guy. Um, he was on uh, Mully and Haw this morning, and he's you know they they were basically talking about Berger playing second, and they didn't think that the issue would be with his hands, which I would I would have to agree with. I think that it's more it's more going to be a, a range issue for the most part, and and a familiarity with the with the position itself, and uh, you know, as you say, the the turn on second, you know, I mean. The you footwork know. has got to be quick to turn a double play. Yeah, there. and you know, no. like the 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 double play turn that I saw on the on the Twitter videos kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, like almost like a Domingo Ayala video, um, you know. Which, <laughs> um, if you guys have not seen him on the uh, on social media, that guy is uh, good for a laugh. Um, yeah. but you know, I. The the bat's gonna play, you know. I mean, you, they didn't let your mean work his way through that slump, as we've talked about here before. Is that he was, you know, just starting to come back out of the slump, and then they demoted him and like just totally from from at least from an outside pair of eyes, it looked like <laughs> it mentally wrecked his self confidence when they when they dropped him because when he went down to triple a you know the the numbers were not where they were before and uh it's kind of been more or less that since he went back down is that it just seems like the confidence isn't necessarily there as much as it as it used to be uh which is unfortunate for him because uh the you know before that the guy was a fairly dominant minor league hitter for a couple of years uh hitting in the you know low 300s for a couple of years in a row and year and out year out right yeah. uh you know and that's the thing uh i think he may have lost twtw as we've seen in uh you know white Sox twitter uh speak the will to win you know he was uh, he was on one of the uh, the best rookie tears ever in Major League Baseball, setting records left and right, uh, not only franchise records but uh, Major League Baseball records early on in the season. Uh, and then he did he, he did find that that slump where he kind of hit a wall for a little bit. And like you said, he was working his way out of it. And then uh, what I will forever refer to as the incident happened. You know, and shockingly, as it goes since that incident is kind of the way the White Sox have gone too. It wasn't just your mean. It was the team as a whole seems to have floundered some. And it makes you wonder that even though a lot of them spoke out in favor of Tony La Russa, so uh, there were a lot of guys on the team that kind of, uh, you know, had your means back in that situation and were pretty vocal about it. And when uh, when the, 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 the socials and, and the media kind of jumped on Tony La Russa for – you know, reprimanding your mean for hitting a 3-0 bomb off a position player in a game that was well at hand. Uh, you know, it seemed like uh, it seemed like the the, the roles the, the the 
which what should I say? The, the the people having your means back all of a sudden switched to having Tony's back. You know, you're not you can't talk bad about our manager. Yeah. But at the same time, I wonder if you know he kind of lost his his uh, clubhouse a little bit at that point. There seems there seemed to just be the maybe even at the slightest little bit of dissension that uh, had, that team hasn't fully recovered from yet. And I'm just guessing here. I'm just spitballing. But uh, you know, oh. The numbers kind of say, you know, they they kind of back my theory here, but you know, it could be a number of things. So yeah, I, you see, I, you see things like little things all over the place with this team. Uh, I mean, such as the uh, when Aaron Bummer got pulled out of the game the other day. You know, oh, like, where he wouldn't look Tony. Yeah, Larson in thousand the eye. mile <laughs> stare through the stands. You know, to uh, you know the Gulf of Mexico, just like. Uh, what you know, like what are we doing here? Um, yeah, I just you know, there was a video that was taken on the team charter flight after that happened, and TA was on that video and he was very vocal when uh Yermin walked by him. He said, You keep doing what you're doing, baby. You know, uh, I don't think that. Most of the clubhouse backed TLR on that. And I I mean, the whole thing was so stupid in uh, 1985, you know? Right. You could see how much this team was having fun when they were winning ball games going up to that point. And they were they were walking away with the division early on in the season. And had they kept that same pace that they were going, I mean, they might have won the division by 35, 40 games last year, you know, if they'd kept anything close to the pace that they were going. And, uh, you know, just to see, you you, kind of took the air out of the sails a little bit there. Kind of seemed that way. You took the fun out out of the game. You know, Guy is having a monster season. He hits a home run. He celebrates his home run, and then you, you know, you slap him across the, the wrist with a ruler. You, know, you can't do that. Can't do that. Well, where does it say I can't do that? Well, it's an unwritten rule, but you can't do that. Yeah, how dare you make a mockery of a mockery? You know, because I mean, <laughs> right. essentially that's that's what he's telling him is you know I know that they're not respecting the game by putting a position player in the game to pitch, but how dare you take him out? when he throws a meatball over the center of the plate, you know, it's just, yeah, that, that whole thing was just, uh, really annoying. So, uh, like you said, uh, Aloy and Lance Lynn on their way back, comeback yes. trail, uh, in Charlotte. Um, Aloy played his first game in the outfield yesterday, uh, being Sunday, if you're listening to this on the podcast, um, and he played uh, five innings, I believe. I think it was five innings in the field. And, um, you know, he came out of the game and wasn't hurt. So, hooray for that. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, as far as he even the, had him uh, leading off a little bit. Yeah, yeah he was leading yeah, off. Yeah, he was game, hitting which... first. Yeah, they, they're getting him some, you know, trying to get him a couple of additional at-bats because they knew they were going to pull him early. Um, so, he's hitting 200 right now. Um not exactly uh, punishing the baseball yet. I think that that's going to take a little bit of time. You watch the batting practice stuff that uh, AAA Jeff is putting up on uh, 
uh, socials, uh, you'll see that you know he's he's uh, he's hitting the ball fairly decent, and he looks like uh, hey hey. Sorry, I apologize. Hey. My dog is over here stealing my pizza. <laughs> Newton. Well, that's a smart dog. Go on. Um, yeah, I mean, the other dog came to tell on him. That's kind of funny. <laughs> As they will do. The dog came over here like, hey, he's over there. <laughs> hey, look at this guy over here. What's this guy doing? Pay attention. No, um, I, I apologize for uh, scaring everybody. Uh, there for a all good. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so he's hitting 200 with a 294 uh, on base percentage. Um, nothing super st- spectacular. Uh, 200 slugging, so he's got a 494 OPS. It's, But then again, you know, we're talking about uh, rehab time here. And the man did have major leg surgery. So, he I did. mean, regardless that it being just a tear and not a, you know, like a, a partial tear and not a full tear and all that stuff uh, that would have put him into uh, madrigal territory with the uh, completely torn muscle. Um, you know, he still managed to make it back fairly quickly. So I am not upset about that. Uh no. You know, we were worried about that uh, first game where he came and got his, uh, he hit that single and then immediately pulled himself out of the game afterwards. Um, so we haven't it's seen scary that stuff. since. Yeah, we haven't seen that since. So I'm that part. I'm that part. I'm happy with. Mm-hmm. Um, Lance Lynn, uh, also down in Charlotte, uh, made two starts so far. His third start is on Wednesday. Um, he said, "Now this is what he said." Uh, is that he was going to make about three starts. Um, the first game, if I, I – not 100%, but I think he went about 65 pitches in the first start, and he went, I think, 85-ish in start two. Uh, I think he'll probably, I think they said that they're aiming for around that as well in the third start. Um, seven uh, – let's see, what's he at? He's at seven innings pitched. Um, he's had a couple of – you know, a couple of touch-ups. He got uh, a couple of home runs hit off of him in his second start, uh, both to right field. Um, you know, I, it's it's Charlotte, so balls fly there. Um, so right. I'm not going to really look a whole lot. And, and I will say neither one of them was really uh, crushed. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, a couple, couple feet over the – over the wall, you know, like 10 feet over the wall, which in, in Charlotte is, you know, the ball carries there really well. Um, saw this really, I'm completely, uh, s- sort of related. Um, I saw on, uh, MLB.tv, I watch, you know, my fair amount of baseball. Um, they had this really awesome graphic of San Francisco, uh, showing the the wind patterns that happen in the stadium there in San Francisco and uh just seeing like the 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 current direction as it comes into the stadium and then goes back out is absolutely bizarre and i would love to see the white Sox do something like that um it was basically using just a plethora of arrows you know, showing how the how the wind generally comes in and out of the stadium. I'd love to see that uh, for guaranteed rate. Just as actually, all the all the White Sox affiliates and 
guaranteed rate, see that to see what kind of impact the wind in those stadiums has on a batted ball. Because I don't know if you've noticed, uh, but if you look at the home and away splits for the White Sox. Uh, I have noticed, but continue. It's, it's really ugly. And um, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to make sense. I'm still trying to make sense of all this. You know, is how much can you blame on the manager? How much can you uh, blame on the weather? How much can you blame on the new baseball with the new drag coefficient uh, that they just decided to up and completely change again? Um, like, what effect does all this stuff have on the results that we've seen so far out of the White Sox? And I'm, you know, without like a full detail on the numbers and everything, like, how, how am I going to know? I mean, I can only look at the stats so much. I mean, I see exit velocities off the bat, you know, of 105 to a 110 with like a 30-degree launch angle, and they're still not going out of the park. So clearly yeah, there's kinda... some funny business going on, but how much? Because the other teams seem to be scoring runs just fine. However, I will notice that a lot of it does not seem to be the long ball. I mean, they've given up a couple but compared to when they're on the road and what they give up when they're on the road, seems like the ball is flying a little bit better elsewhere than right. at guaranteed rates. So I think that that probably also does play a part. There's no I'm sure it cooking. does. I mean, if you're, if you're a resident of the Chicago area and uh, you have not noticed the strange weather pattern uh, for the better part of spring, uh, as we move into summer here coming up, uh, you know, it's been, it's been a, a different kind of uh, spring for us here. We, we almost seem to be a few weeks behind on everything uh, warming up the way it normally does. And uh, it's possible that, uh, that, you know, those wind patterns have something to do with the ball flying out of the park as regularly as it normally would for this White Sox team. Um, but, you know, at the same time, you know, I don't want to poo-poo on, on what you're bringing up here, but the fact of the matter is, is, you know, when you are hitting a ton of singles and you still can't score any runs, the reality is, is, you know, you got to be able to, you can't live and die by the, by the home run, I guess is what I'm trying to say. You got to be able to move base runners around. You got to get guys over. You can't, I mean, the White Sox seem to hit balls directly at other teams and you know there's a part of me you're talking about seeing wind patterns and, and the data on that i'd like to see the data that these teams are using uh as far as positioning against the white Sox defensively and uh are the white Sox not using the same data because it seems like a lot more balls seem to make their way through and we can talk about the defense all we want being you know uh less than uh optimal this season for the white Sox, but you know, uh, are we are we using advanced analytics as much as other teams are? Uh, are there numbers out there that they're just not paying attention to? Is it just bad luck? I, I don't really know. Uh, but I would, you know, that has me curious without going and digging and, and, and having the numbers in front of me. It just makes me wonder, you know, where that all kind of comes into play as well. 
Well, I'll throw this out there. Their team BABIP is 279 this year, which is good for 23rd out of 30 teams. Uh, and it's about uh, 33 points lighter than last year's. Um, now, how much of that can you put on the baseball? How much of it can you put on positioning by the other team? Yeah, of course, there's, you know, going to be some uh, some wiggle room in there for interpretation. Um, right. But I will say this. Uh, the Yankees are at 277, and they're the top offense in baseball. So um, that is also an interesting find. I mean, it doesn't seem to really jive you know is if the, how, right. how is their babbit 277 and the whites like it's the best and the worst are within two points of each other which to me is uh kind of mind-boggling actually how that <laughs> how that could be um but yeah i this the the offense you know we we've talked about this uh <coughs> more than enough uh, more certainly much more than i care to um but yeah, the, the the order has not been uh, putting up what they're supposed to be putting up. Now, um, I'd like to bring this up. Uh, what did you think of the revolutionary idea that TLR had on Sunday, which is putting all of your best hitters at the top of the, or actually, I guess I could say the hottest hitters that you have at the moment at the top half of the order, all right near each other. Did you, were you as shocked as I was? Uh, A little bit. I was a little shocked, but uh, I was not shocked at the results. They put up six runs. At least initially. Yeah. Well, right. You know, in the first two innings of the game, they put up six runs. Now, you know, there's a, you could say, well, Tampa changed pitchers after the second inning and not a lefty. Yeah. Right. Not a lefty, which the Sox have been known the last couple of seasons to go out and kill lefty pitching. Uh, but, you know, the fact of the matter is, is Tony LaRusso finally put together a lineup that made a little bit of sense. Uh, and, you know, here we come away with a win. Pretty crazy to like see to... a semi-competent lineup out there for once, you know. Yeah, and let's let's you know. By the way, since we're talking about Tony Larusa lineups, let's just go ahead and uh, remind everybody that we still have not yet seen a duplicate lineup the entire season so that, far. Uh, that is I, insanity. I, yeah, uh, it, it, I you know I wonder if it's some sort of record. I don't know. Maybe it's not, but. Uh, he seems like he is trying to go 162 without using the same lineup twice. It just looks that way. But uh, I digress. You know, I, I think maybe we might have to do a special stream one night when we actually do get the first duplicate lineup of the season. That Yeah, I mean, it, it would be a momentous occasion to actually get <laughs> the same lineup for once. I mean, I the only thing I can figure is that he's trying to get his main guys going. And then once his main guys get going, they're going to live in their spot and he's going to fill in the other spots. That's the only thing I can figure because as, you know, for the last, you know, since the season has started, nobody 
has really been at their career norms. Right. Um, as far right. as, and as, you, as far you, as the big guys anyway. You, well, right. Yeah. You know, Tim Anderson. Yeah. And he's he always down, got, yeah, and a, he's usually got a spot at the top. So, right. So, you know, other than that, he's, uh, you know, I don't know. There's just, there's a lot of floundering going on and it's happening all at once. So my only hope is, you know, last season we saw the floundering, but we seem to do we you see it from two or three guys at once while two or three guys are picking up the pieces. And uh, you know, maybe this season, maybe, just maybe, everybody gets the garbage out of their system early. And when they do finally put it all together, this becomes a juggernaut. You, you know, I, I'm I'm being hopeful here. I'm hoping that uh, there's a major turnaround somewhere. And when the offense gets rolling and these guys start having a lot of fun again, that, you know, the attitude changes. And, uh, you know, we might see some of the best baseball we ever saw, but I'm waiting for the fun to happen. Yeah, I mean, like you could talk about uh, 1983 as well. You know, I mean, Uh, that that season was – Super stressful that they that they weren't also weren't scoring any runs, you know. So until uh, there was a there, yeah, was Carl a, a Fiskin, trade that, but yeah, there was a trade that they uh, that they they blamed that whole thing on. Carlton Fisk came and uh, who else? They got rid of. Uh, oh God! Oh, I keep wanting to say Julio Franco. Julio Cruz. Julio Cruz, thank you. Yeah, Julio Cruz was uh was he was a goner and uh Carl Fisk came and that just seemed to be the spark that happened. So I don't know. Maybe we gotta get on the horn. We gotta get in Rick Hans ear. We need to trade Leary Garcia for Bryce Harper. Who wants that guy? <laughs> Nobody wants that guy. That's the, that's part of the problem. Um yeah, I've got uh, the numbers from the last couple of weeks uh, that I'll bring up here in a little bit. Um, and the, uh, as you could imagine, the Larry Garcia stats are um, less than enjoyable to, to look at. Um, I know that will shock you. Um well, you know, we did that whole segment on uh, Leary and Josh Harrison last week with the uh, WRC plus and the uh, the OB, uh, OPS plus and all that stuff. I was, uh, let's just say, I, I was I was less than happy to hear those numbers, uh, and it's they absurd. were quite they were quite a bit worse than I imagined them to be. So, <laughs> yeah. Excuse me. Um, completely inept, really, uh, when you look at those numbers. I mean, granted, you know, they were skewed towards uh, versus left-handed pitching for the really, really bad numbers, but the to right-handed pitching wasn't any good either. So, um, yeah, so uh, let's uh, mention Danny Mendick's mention here in chat, so let's go ahead and bring him up. Um, so I'm sitting here talking about Danny Mendick a couple of weeks ago, um, and Yolbert and, uh, talking about how, 
the organization seems to be worrying about Danny Mendick at bats more so than it's worrying about Yulbert Sanchez at bats, which is, you know, maybe not 100% accurate, but it certainly feels that way at times. Um, you know, he's still getting his at bats every day down in Charlotte, and um, Danny Mendick has been called back up to the White Sox, and Danny Mendick for the last couple of weeks has been uh, one of the top performers for the White Sox which is a pleasant development. And uh, and he also plays a pretty solid shortstop, filling in for T.A. with the injury. Um, there was the base running error, mental base running error uh, that he made. But one thing that he did say is that he was trying to be aggressive and trying to get into scoring position. Um and it ended up uh, biting him in the butt, but that he's always going to be, he's going to err on the side of being aggressive. Like, that's just like how he likes to play the game of baseball, which is which is fine until something like that comes up where you're just like, okay, that. Yeah, where you, you, you miss ex- the that tying. You miss the tying run because you get caught tagging up from first base to second. And, uh, you know, there was a whole debate on the socials about that, you know, whether Danny Mendick was at fault for trying to take that base when he really didn't need to. And, you know, Reese McGuire not hustling from third to home to get across the plate before Danny Mendick gets pegged at second. Uh, you know, maybe there are some, uh, some, some, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Maybe there's there's some argument to be made for that. I'll give you that, I guess. But uh, I think both instances are kind of stre- – they're, they're stretches, uh, you know, as far as being the the, the solidifying factor in that game. Um, you know, it was late in the game. You're looking to tie it up. I think the biggest mistake made was it once Danny Mendig realized he was going – to, it was going to be that close of a play that maybe you back off and you give Reese McGuire a chance to uh, cross the plate. But, you know, really, honestly, being aggressive, there's nothing wrong with being aggressive. And in most instances, he's as fast as Danny Mendick is. You're probably going to beat that play eight out of ten times anyway. Uh, it took a perfect throw to get him, and unfortunately it happened. Yep. So, you know, it is what it is. But I agree with you. He has been a pleasant surprise both defensively and uh, he's uh he's put together some timely hitting yeah. you know he's hit with guys on base a few times he's gotten on base in situations where you needed a base runner uh and uh you know there were people that were saying i see it in the chat here that you know he couldn't be worse than uh josh harrison or leary garcia and so far he has not been he's been quite a bit better so happy yeah. to see that um, so one thing that we did talk about last week that I brought up was the ratio of line drives to fly balls and ground balls for Josh Harrison, that this year, for whatever reason, disproportionately, his line drives are weighed down comparatively to the other two. And if you had noticed, um, he's hit, uh, a couple more line drives in the last couple of games that he's played. And guess what? Base hits. Right. Shocking, right? When it doesn't look right. like he's trying to play home run derby with a baseball that doesn't want to go anywhere and with power that was 
you know, barely passed warning track in the first place consistently, um, it does not shock me that he's been flying out entirely too much. Yeah, and they are all go all going, you know, for the most part, opposite field. He loves to hit it down the down the right field line, which has been really pleasant to see after we talked about it last week, and then to see that maybe somebody is noticing this thing that, you know, yes, you're making contact, but this is the whole thing that we've been going through with the White Sox lineup for the entire year so far is yeah, you're making contact. But are you making the correct kind of contact? You know, right. and see Josh Harrison go opposite field is is a good thing too because that's kind of been his calling card uh, through much of his career. To be honest with you, is when he can, you know, they've been saying it about Tim Anderson for years when he well when he starts getting going the, the other way, you know, look out. And it's kind of been the same thing with Josh Harrison. And I'm not comparing the two of them as players per se, just that you know when you see that kind of thing from them is usually when you see them kind of get hot. So, again, another step in the right direction. At this point, that's what we're looking for, isn't it? I mean, realistically, we're, you know, we would love for there to be that proverbial light switch that they could flip and just all of a sudden turn it on and be scoring, you know, six to ten runs a game most of the time. Like, that would be, of course, that would be phenomenal, but I can't <laughs> expect that. Um I mean, you can't ask for that, really. I mean, you can ask for it, but you're, you're not going to get it. But, uh, you know, baby steps in the correct direction, you know. Um, I know one thing that uh, Connor McKnight's been saying about the White Sox is that it just seems like they're always one hit short of putting an inning together. And that seemed to be what it is. And I, I don't know how much of it is based off of lineup construction being um, utter garbage. Yeah. And I don't know how much of it is just that, uh, for whatever reason, things are just not turning out how they would if, say, you're not hitting a line drive right at somebody. You know, I mean, just the timely hits have not been there, and I don't know how much of it is approach. I don't know how much of it is badly constructed lineups of having guys that have absolutely no business being in the three hole or four hole, you know, following guys that are on base. I mean, there's, I mean, we've seen, we've seen so many different variables that it's hard to make a case for one thing or the other being the main reason why some of this is happening. And a lot of it has to do with the lineup construction 50, you know, 50, what 51 or 52 games or whatever it is, 52 <laughs> different lineups is that it's hard to put your finger on it because nobody's protected because of the way that the lineups have been made. Right. So, you know, I mean, it's just, uh, like a like last stream slash podcasts title, you know, perfect storm of bad. You know, it's it's he's he has found a way to construct lineups every game up until Sunday. As far as I'm concerned, he's figured out a way to construct a lineup that just does not work together. So I figure that after you know like fifty one fifty two tries, that at some point he's got to get something that's somewhat usable. You know, even despite the injuries. So, 
And, you know, and that's the thing. I hear people talk about the injuries, the injuries, the injuries, the injuries. Yes, I will agree. The injuries for this team absolutely suck. This not the Sox. They have been snake bitten for you know a few years here, where the in in not just minor injuries, we've seen uh, some significant injuries kind of pile up over the last couple of seasons. But at the same time, you know, when you've got you know, these guys that Rayhan went out and, and got you to put together a lineup where you could plug some holes. You would think that you would plug those holes the way they were developed and designed to be plugged and do that on a regular basis. And we have not seen that. It has just been it's like shuffling a new deck of cards every day and wherever the cards fall, that's where you're gonna go. It's it's like throwing darts in the dark. And it makes absolutely no sense, whatever. But, uh, you know, we've we've harped on that for a long time. So I, I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm going to digress. I'm not going to get too deep into it. But, yeah, I, I agree. It would it would be nice to see uh, a more consistent lineup where your best hitters are at the top of the order like we saw Sunday afternoon. Even if you and, take all five of them and shuffle them in a different order at the top five, at least they would all be around each other. So if the first one gets on base, well, he can be driven in by the second, third, fourth, or fifth guy. You right. Know, you and don't you know the, scatter the pitcher them. Doesn't get a, the pitcher doesn't get an opportunity to pitch around somebody because he'd rather get to the guy behind you because the guy behind you should be hitting a nine hole instead of the two hole. Yeah. You and, know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, you know, another thought of mine from Sunday is that, you know, I was happy to see them scoring runs in the first and second inning. But another thing that I was thinking of, and I was like, well, this is Ryan Yarborough. Like, is, is this why we're, is this why we're doing this is because it's Ryan Yarborough and, you know, he got taken out of the game and then all of a sudden the, the faucet was turned off. No more runs, you know? And I mean, we can get into the, uh, <laughs> the Lucas Giolito pitch count, uh, stressful innings talk here since we're at this part in the yeah, game. I'd love to. Would absolutely love to. <laughs> every, like almost every, not every single inning, but most of his innings would be classified as stressful innings. Is that yeah. he was, cl- you know, scratching and clawing his way to get through those innings. And he kept on stranding, Tampa runners. So he fought through it, but because of that, his pitch count, you know, wasn't too terrible uh, through the third inning. I think he's like, his pitch count was pretty respectable, but the next couple innings after that, they made him work. And so then I think it was like 92 pitches or something like that. He came out for the sixth. Does that sound right? Somewhere, yeah, somewhere right somewhere, around there. Yeah, I, I don't even, I don't, honestly don't know the exact number. I couldn't even tell you if you were close, but I knew it was getting up there. Uh, unfortunately, I actually was uh, driving. I was listening on the radio. I was on my way back from uh, Indiana buying uh, illegal fireworks. Yeah. Oh, no. Fourth uh, <laughs> of July party at Danny's house. Uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I was listening. Uh, quite intently on the radio. And let's just say that uh, what I was hearing and what I was seeing with my mind's eye was that 
he was obviously struggling. It was, there were, you know, the command kind of seemed to uh, leave him a little bit. Fastball and change up. That was, that was it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when you, when you, when it's obvious that your pitcher is up in the 90 plus pitches range, he's pretty much close to being done anyway. But, you know, at that point in the game, you know, going to the sixth inning, he'd only given up one run on a dinger. The, uh, what was it, the two innings before in the fourth inning? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you struggle through the fifth, like you say, we leaving guys on base, you know, putting runners on, uh, walking guys, you know, getting into some deep counts, some two and two and three and two counts before you finally, you know, either put somebody on or finish somebody off. You, I saw something on social media today about somebody saying that you have to expect, you know, you have to expect your pitcher to go more than five innings. And I said, well, wait a minute. What's expected and what actually happens are two different things. Yes, I do. I would like to be able to say that my starters can go more than five innings before they fall apart. But that doesn't negate the fact that they, they're not. And that as a manager, you have to be prepared to have somebody up in the bullpen to come and get this guy out of the game instead of leaving him out there to die. Yeah, I think there's a fine line to, to walk there. Uh, like the thing is, is that, yeah, so if Dylan Cease is cruising through five innings and he's got like 62 pitches, yes, you're going to bring him out for the sixth. And if he's at 75 pitches after that, you bring him out for the eighth. I think that... The, the whole thing is is that everybody that was watching knew that those innings were stressful for Giolito. And, you know, it, it certainly doesn't help that uh, Grandal in the sixth inning. Yeah, bad error. Very bad. Uh, did not pick a throw to first and uh, dropped the ball. And, um, you know, you could see it on Giolito's face when that happened. Um there was a couple plays in a row where just, you know, between that and uh, there was a pop foul that uh, or no, it was a, it was a Andrew Vaughn didn't catch a, a ball in right field and it ends up rolling away from him like 25 feet. And uh, after that was done, you could just see on G Lito's face that he looked like he was ready, ready to murder somebody. And, uh, you know, home run. And it's six five now because of that. Right. Um, it just to me, I look at it and <clears throat> it was one of those everybody looking from the outside knew what was coming. Right. You know, it's just like watching, uh, you know, it's like uh, Austin Powers on the steamroller, you know, where the guy's just sitting there screaming. <laughs> Austin Powers, get out of the way, get out of the way. And the guy's just standing there yelling. And uh, yeah, eventually he gets turned into a pancake. We all saw it coming. And it took a little while to develop, but we all kind of figured that it was coming uh, with the way things had worked out in the first couple of batters of that inning. So unfortunate, but uh, what are you going to do? You know? Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing. I, you know, I wasn't mad at Tony for. Uh bringing him out for the sixth. Let You know, if he's got something left in the tank and he's looking halfway decent, go ahead and do it. 
But, uh, you know, after giving up three hard hit balls from what it sounded like, you know, I mean, you shouldn't have even gotten that far. You should have said, okay, enough's enough. And, uh, you know, let's uh, let's turn to our, our bullpen that is supposed to be, you know, top notch, which, you know, it hasn't been exactly the best bullpen in baseball, but it hasn't been terrible. There's it's had some terrible moments. But, you know, now you're in the you're in the sixth inning. You know, you got guys like Kendall Graveman who, you know, OK, we're going to use him as our setup man. Struck outside. Fine. Fine. That's fine. You know what? Bummer came into the game. In the seventh, after pitching the day before, and uh, looked well, I shouldn't say look because I didn't see it, but sounded <laughs> filthy. I mean, he he struck out the side three batters, and I think he only threw like twelve pitches and struck out the side. You know, you got to kind of have that confidence when you see Lucas has really been fighting all day. That's my whole and, thing uh, on it. Yeah, you, you if they're can't, stressful. You can't Right. You know, if you're fighting from from the opening pitch and things aren't going your way, you really don't have your best stuff. And like you said, here's a guy who's got four pitches in his arsenal. Three of them are usually pretty good, and he's only able to use two of them most of the game because he can't find the slider. What's up, Xavier? You know, How you doing? Hey, well, Chicago White Sox Daily Zone, Xavier Sanchez. Uh, but yeah, you know, when, when you, you're only down to two pitches and yeah, I mean, it's just a fight. It's a battle inning in and in and out. You got to have somebody ready to go. That's what I'm saying is if you know that all the innings are stressful and you're bringing them out in the, in the inning with 90 pitches, if the first two guys he faces, you get one is an error and then the other one solidly hit. And then there's another hit, you know, regardless of whether Vaughn, you know, didn't get to it or not, you have to do what you, I mean, you know that at that point, you knew that he was pretty close to being gassed if he wasn't already gassed and just not saying it in the first place after those first five innings. Bringing him out and not having somebody immediately ready to go and having him finish the inning and then end up finishing like close to 120 pitches is absurd. Right. And, you know, it ends up bringing the score to six to five. You know, so now you only have a one run buffer there because well, you insist think. on Tony doing LaRusso, that. Tony LaRusso saw the tweet uh, a week and a half ago that said the Sox are like you know, 12 and two in one run games or whatever. 12 and three, I think it was, in, in one run games. And he was like, well, we got to get it to one run. So we can uh, almost guarantee ourselves a win here. That's yeah. That's we're like ninety, what ninety percent, you know, like uh, mm-hmm. well, I guess like eighty-five percent victory rate at that point. So it's probably for the best that uh, we go ahead and get to a one-run game. Right. Solid. Solid. He's, play, uh, planning. he's playing chess while we're all playing checkers. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and bring up these. Uh, Uh, where is it? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and bring up these numbers. Uh, so here is the last seven days of numbers. And as you see, Jose Bray is still on top um, at 1133. Um, you see a little shuffling. Uh, Andrew Vaughn moves up. Uh, his last uh, his last week has been phenomenal, as you can tell, uh, with the... 1090 plus 
uh, OPS, um, but you also have Danny Mendick. Now, here's where the weird stuff comes in. Number four for the last seven days, Josh Harrison with a one point below 900 OPS, 899. Nine at-bats. Nine at-bats. So, I mean, small sample, but, you know, we'll go ahead and... Uh... It is, but you have to give him credit seeing what his numbers were for the last 15 Previously. Days. Yeah, so it seems right. like, I mean, you know, I'm not a coach and I'm not there every single day, but I've seen the at-bats. Uh, it looks like something is possibly being adjusted. More more line drives, um, going oppo a little bit more, um, less of a propensity to try and pull the ball to the moon, uh, which is certainly needed from him because as we mentioned, you know, the power is not his, not his game. You know, I mean, he'll, he'll hit a few, you know, he'll run into a few, but like his, his game is line drives and getting on base. And, uh, let's hope that this is a move in the right direction with, a, <laughs> and I expect this to continue the 455 OBP that certainly should continue for the rest of the season. <laughs> Um, but, uh, Jake Uh also there, uh, the batting averages come down, but the thing that we have obviously all seen is that the extra base hits for Jake Berger, there, there have been big hits and more extra base hits, three extra base hits out of his four hits in the last five days for extra base. Yes. Started the game, his first two at-bats, both really well-hit doubles. One of which was uh, real close to making its way out. Uh, Robert so. coming back from COVID, still same numbers, uh, still 819 OPS, which, you know, we, you know, he's while he's got eight, eight hits in his last 22 at-bats, um, not as much power behind it. Um, so, you know, let's hope that uh, now that he's, getting his uh his legs back under him from the uh the Covis experience that um that is indeed on its way up let's hope uh Reese McGuire same thing um still around a 750 OPS you'll take that AJ Pollock right. in the last you know last 7 days um 3 for 14 not great average wise but he does have a home run and uh, only three strikeouts and 14 at-bats, which is, you know, not uh, not anything to write home about, but at least it's not uh, up in the 30-35% ratio. Um, Adam Engel, his production's dipped in the last week, but then again, he's only got uh, nine at-bats. So Right, again, yeah, small sample, and, uh, you know, he's been brought in as a defensive replacement couple of times this week but yep. he hasn't i think he's had one start yeah yeah he's week. had yeah i think he's had uh uh maybe it's two starts maybe it's one start and uh i think it's two starts i could be wrong though um and then uh gavin sheets uh drops even further his ops drops even further sub 400 ops uh larry garcia I mean, I don't even. I mean, his average is his batting average is up, as is his OBP and his uh, slugging. Um, so I mean, I guess that's good. I mean, if you go from a three, 
367 to a 376. Is that uh, checking any boxes for you? I can't imagine. Absolutely not. Um, you know, that's the funny thing. We look at this list, you know, between the 14-day the and 17-day or 15-day and 17 or 7-day. Uh, the bottom of this list doesn't change much. No. And, uh, again, you know, you're looking at those same three or four players and you're going, uh, what are we doing here? Yep. What are we doing here? Yeah. You know, so, yeah. Yes, Leary Garcia, 16 at-bats. <laughs> yep. 16 at-bats in seven days, so averaging two at-bats. I mean, he did. He did manage to uh, score himself a day off with a stellar play. So that's uh, that's always good to see is that he has earned a day off. Um, some would say that he's earned, uh, that he's earned the rest of the year off, but, uh, you know, we won't go there. Um, Yasmani, uh, same thing. 111 average, 111 slugging. I mean, it's, his numbers have been bad. However, he did put together some decent at bats. Um, he's got three walks, um, you know, again, versus eight strikeouts. So it's almost at a one to two clip still. Uh, and Yohan Mankata, he's had a couple of good at-bats, um, but still very lackluster numbers. So You know, let me ask you this since we're on this right now. And, and you know, you just mentioned Yasmani Grandal. I, you know, and you, you talked about it a little bit when we first started doing this whole segment uh, about, you know, how he's recovering from, and, you know, the knees and legs have bothered him the last couple of seasons. He had surgery and, you know, there's a long recovery period there. Uh, he did actually come out and say, I want to say in the last week sometime, it was probably six, seven days ago at this point now where he, he had mentioned that, you know, the legs are still kind of bothering him. Yeah. Both legs. Yeah. I think that was an interview Yet, with, uh, Daryl Van, Van, Van it, Scowen. It was think, uh, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, you know, we see two catchers in this lineup quite a bit here lately. And I got to ask you what your your thoughts are on that. And, and, you know, do you have any justifiable reason that that thing is happening? Because, you know, we talk about guys earning that spot, that, that, that time to uh, figure things out. But there's a difference between giving the guy a time to, you know, figure it out and, and kind of get back on track like, you know, say, Yohan Moncada where the guy was, uh, a, you know, a big part of your offense last season. And then, you know, Yasmani Grandal also had, uh, he was also a deep part of your offense last year because he was walking a ton. And when he did come back from injury last year, he seemed to hit a bunch of uh, bunch of homers uh, in the right field seats, you know, in the second half of the season there. But what are your thoughts on, on, on playing both him and McGuire in what see in what feels like almost every game here, you know that I, to me this is a tough one. Um, now you want to try and get him going because last year, as you said, you know, very big part of the offense, um, his walks last year, and his power when that uh, when he got his leg under him, that was huge. Uh, the problem being is that, uh, I mean, I guess, you know, the thing is, is how long can you eat this kind of production? And certainly like the, the, 
the main problem I guess I have with it is that if you're going to bat him eighth or ninth, okay. You know, knowing that you need to get him going, put him at put him eighth in the eighth in the order. If you know that you need to get him going, I mean for, I mean Reese McGuire's OPS is four hundred points higher than his. So I mean I don't necessarily have a problem with there being two catchers in there per se. Um, I guess more my issue is is that if he's got issues with his legs that's only going to be cured with time, which is kind of what he's suggesting. Um, maybe he, you know, maybe you do put him on, you know, the 10 day IL and let him, let it run through two cycles and let him get a few weeks where he's, you know, training and getting stronger with that leg instead of trying to do it while also trying to, you know, catch, Play first base, DH. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's not. It's not doing anybody any favors, I guess. Is 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 the way I look at. It. I understand the want to get him going, uh, but the thing is, is that if if his leg, if his driving leg, when he's you know, uh, when he's hitting right-handed, or his plant leg when he's hitting left-handed, if it feels weak. And he said that that was part of the reason why he was having problems catching towards the later, you know, towards the latter part of the last season. Why are we still doing this dance? All right. That was kind of what I was getting at is, you know, why is this still happening? Because this is not something new. You know, we're hearing these things, we, you know, from these interviews that these guys are doing. Uh, and if we're hearing it, you know, obviously the organization knows that it's going on. Uh, and as vital of a piece as he is to the offense, or has been in the past anyway, don't you think you want to get him right? Give him the opportunity to be the best Yasmani that he can be for the better part of the season. You know, if it was, you know, let's just say, like you say, let's just say if all 10 day stint, to get himself stronger and feel better as opposed to watching the last two months of baseball. You know, I would take 10 days of zero production from Yasmani Grandal over two months of this pitiful production Yeah, from Yasmani Grandal. If it's going to help him get back on track. You know, and, I was, I was know, kind of, pain away a little bit. I was kind of under the thing, uh, you know, under the same feeling of, Let's let him get going. You know, if if he's if he's starting off slowly, fine. But then after hearing his interviews saying that the leg's still an issue and that the strength's not built up in it yet, if you know that, and you are still penciling him in at the leadoff position and batting four and six and <laughs> five and three and everywhere except for at the very bottom of the order for the most part. Seeing this production, like, what are we doing here? You know, let him go and go rehab in Arizona and get better and come back. uh, You know, he was juvenated once before he was juvenated and then he wasn't. And then he'll come back and he'll be rejuvenated. You know, that's what I'm looking for. (laughs) 
because this, <laughs> this 350 OPS thing, it's not it. No, and you know, you know, I see it in the chat, and and I actually had the thought is you know we got this, we got a young catcher in the system that could easily come up, and you know he doesn't necessarily have to be stellar. He just needs to come and fill a hole until Yasmani physical body and being out there and playing, and you know, on a day to day basis. Uh, you know, Carlos Perez, I think could uh, you know do well by coming up and gaining a little bit of experience. And even if you got to send him back down, and you got to send him back down, a lot of folks will tell you that he's pretty close to major league ready as it is anyway. Uh, you know, some folks will say that. Some folks might disagree, but uh, the reality is, I don't think you would hurt him by bringing him up. You know, at this point in his minor league career, this it, is you know for a short stint. This is where the problems start coming in. Is that I, you know, it, it's mentioned call up Zavala or even Perez. I would much rather it be Carlos Perez. Much the one thousand percent. The issue being. 40-man roster spots. Oh, there's a few of them that I th- I can I can call out some names that don't need to be there. I no, I 100% agree with you. I'm I'm just simply saying that this is where it's going to get tricky. I personally would much rather see Carlos Perez get a shot because not only he's better than Zavala defensively as a catcher and he hits more consistently. He might not have uh that, um, you know, burst of power that Zavala has every once in a while, but his, he does have power and he's more consistent with his hitting. And that's what I, that's what you need for the White Sox. You need somebody that can consistently put the bat on the ball and you're not worried about, you know, getting a hat trick or a golden sombrero every night. You know, because right. with Zavala, you're going to have games like that. You know, you you might have those three home run games like he had that, that right. they love tweeting about. But he's also going to have maybe even the very next night if he's starting, he will have three strikeouts or four strikeouts. And with Carlos Perez, you're going to see that less. Now what you're going to do to clear off that space. That's what they need to figure out. This 40-man roster, they keep on... uh, It's like it's so full, but the problem is is that right now the offensive output from the active roster and then trying to stash these guys on the 40-man... You know, it's just, it's not working in their favor. They're not able to just shuffle a couple of things around really quick and easy and bring a guy up because of the See, way that they stack this whole thing. Yeah, I don't know, though. I don't, I'm not sure I agree with that because, like I said, I, there's a handful of guys I feel I'm off that 40 man and be left completely unprotected because they're not going to get scooped by anybody. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, I, I, they could probably, uh, do that with your mean and probably get away with it. First name that comes to mind, unfortunately, is as much as we loved what your mean did last season, uh, he is not doing anything since, like you mentioned earlier. And, uh, I don't believe he, you know, especially at his, uh, advanced age for a minor leaguer, 
uh, you know, given what he's done since, you know, May of last year, uh, you know, you, you got to think that he's not probably going to get scooped by anybody. You can leave him unprotected. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, for, for instance, um, like, I mean, we're just eating like there's, there's, yes, I agree. There are guys that, uh, that are just eating up a spot that you just kind of look at it and you go, okay, well, what, why are we, why are we protecting this guy on the 40 man? Like, I, I don't quite get it. Um, you know, like uh, Yoan Ibar, <laughs> first first on the list. You know, like you know, okay, yeah, he's he he's got some velo, uh, but he's also like the proud owner of like a almost two whip at one point last year, or I I think it was last year if I remember. It was. No, yeah, it was. Uh, well, no, it was uh, this year. He's got a 1.9 whip. Yeah, well, yeah, last year total he was at a 1.8. This year, you know, Birmingham 1.9, and then uh, in Charlotte it's a one and a half. You know, I, I just okay. We have this guy already. We've got f- five of this guy already. So right. why why are we stashing him on the? Why are we eating up a 40 man spot with guys like this? Um, now I, you know, there, there is also the thing, you know, that, uh, due to 2020 and losing the, the season for the minors and yet everybody's, uh, rule five eligibility still continuing. Um, yeah. Uh, Anderson Severino, uh, he just left a game the other day, um, he just left a game the other day after two pitches, and I don't know what his deal is at this point, because um, I don't believe he's pitched since. Let me uh, bring up his game log right here. I'm almost positive that he hasn't pitched since then. Um, all right, well, just for the sake of argument, I'm going to say that he hasn't pitched since then. Uh, I do not know what his deal is, uh, but it looked like there was something wrong with his arm. I'm not 100% sure, so don't quote me on that, but it that's what it looked like to me. Um, yeah. Right, and, you know, the idea is is that these are the things I'm talking about. There's probably four or five guys that we could easily say, you know what, really don't need to hold a 40-man spot. Not going to see the the big league ball club this year, uh, and they're literally only holding a spot on the forty man to be protected from Rule Five status. And you know, probably not needing that protection. Yeah, you know, uh, I would. You you just if you're going to now see, I see Adam Hazley come up in the chat. Adam Hazley's actually put together a, a handful of nice games here lately. He's he's, uh, he's gotten quite really out. Well. Yeah. So, you know, and, and with the with the outfield wolves that the White Sox have, I don't know that I would uh take him off of the uh the forty man at this point. Uh but there are you know, there are some names that really don't need to be there. He's an like uh, the other thing about Hazley is is that he's an actual outfielder. He can play a plus defense and you know, it looks like 
uh, they figured something out for him in Charlotte because the power spiked in the last uh, two weeks for Hazley, and uh, the average is climbing uh, quite a bit. Right. Um, I'll have to go ahead and take a look-see at, uh, you know. Yeah, no, I understand his OPS is 533, but the thing is is that the guy's hit a bunch of home runs, and his OPS is still 533 because he's not a power hitter. Um, but he's he's been on base a lot. Um, you know, I think I think it's something like a 289 average or something like that. But he's on base a lot. Uh, he can run, and he can play the field. Which uh, and and how about this? I will also mention this: is if I bring him up to the White Sox, I can put him in the outfield. I can put him in the outfield and know that he's not going to uh, do what Andrew Vaughn did in Tampa Bay on Sunday. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, I'm not saying that he's going to be, you know, anything comparable to what Andrew Vaughn's doing. But what I will say is that at least I know that he can play a pretty good outfield, you know? Yeah, he can play a good defensive outfield. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. And, you know, uh, again, I, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that I, I'm not saying because he's put together a, a couple of decent weeks here, call him up now. Uh, I'm looking at the fact that, you know, the White Sox have had some struggles in the outfield over the last couple of years. Injuries seem to be, uh, you know, that, that seems to be a place where obviously we have had a string of injuries between Aloy and Luis Robert and, you know, like going back to last year where it just seemed like there was a revolving door uh, on outfielders out there. Uh, you know, I don't won't necessarily want to uh, take him off the 40-man as of yet. And I'm not calling for him to come up. Just saying, you know, it's it's nice to have him stashed down there in the case that you need him. But, you know, the, the other names that we have thrown around – there's no reason for them to be there. And if, if, you know, you can bring up the, the Perez's and the Yolbert Sanchez's, if you, you know, deem so necessary, uh, you know, I, in this, this whole thing goes back to me as a question of Yasmani Grandal and Luis McGuire in the lineup at the same time. I mean, it happened once already where we lost the DH a few nights ago. Because of changes being made in the game, pinch hits, and you know now, and, and you know, said in the chat with Yasmani batting the way he's been batting, instead of a DH, you might as well, you know, we there the DH is both in the National and the American League now, and he looks like a pitcher with a bat in his hand the way he's been swinging it lately. So really, do the White Sox even have a DH in the lineup when you're batting when you've got both of these guys swinging? Whether Yasmani's DHing, catching, or playing first base. Uh, if he needs the time to get himself right, give him the time to get himself right. You have other options to play first base and DH. You might not have another option to catch. Fine, but we do have some guys down there that can come up and fill a slot for a 10 day IL stint. I'm not asking for somebody to come in and fill a slot for the entire season. Just give me 10 days to where Yasmani can go. And 
rehab the leg and get that strength back in that leg and come back and possibly then you say, okay, do you feel better? You do great. Now we can give you the time to try to put it all together. Yeah. That's what it comes down to for me. Yeah. I mean, just the problem is is you've got too many guys that you're unwilling to move on from on the 40 man, I guess is what I'm getting at is that there, there are several guys that you necessarily can't get away from. Um, like, uh, you know, there's guys that are injured, obviously, uh, you're not going to get rid of crochet, obviously, but I mean, Jonathan Stever injured, um, hasn't pitched in a year and a half. Um, nothing you can do about him and you don't want to get rid of him either. Cause he showed some promise, you know, granted that was in the, uh, the shortened year and basically been hurt ever since then for the most part. Um, but I mean, you know, for, for pitching depth, uh, if you need somebody to come up and, uh, and pitch some innings and you, you know, for a double header, you've got Davis Martin and Jimmy Lambert right on the 40 man. And, uh, you know, it's, there's just so many of these guys, like Anderson Severino, Kyle Crick, um, you know, still keeping around. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, you're not going to get rid of Bennett Souza at this point. He's had some, some use. You know, he's had some, some bad outings, but right. he's also had some good outings. Um, the, the name Jason Billis shows up in the chat, and I think to myself, you know, you might, you might lose. You, you might, you might get a lot of flack. From some of the guys over at Future Sox <laughs> on that one, because yeah, uh, he's, he's not my guy. He's man. the he is the uh, he is the the the, uh, the the return of the savior, you know. On some some of those guys, just think I he mean, is. I the wouldn't best go player. that far, but you know the like the things that I was saying about Davis Martin, uh, you know, as far as like what I thought he could do, that's what people are saying about Jason Billis. Jason Billis has really good stuff. Um, I just, when he doesn't lose his command, well, see, that's the thing. And that, that has been the thing. And, you know, I, he, he flashes some really, some really nasty stuff every once in a while. But the thing is, is that his just, his command's been pretty rough this year. And it's, you know, you got to keep him on your 40 man. So you're eating up a spot. Yeah. He's one that you can't take off the 40 man for sure. He shows way too much potential. Yeah, so I mean, I at what and he point will get scooped. Start just, you know, firing these guys out of here. Let's just, you know, like uh, there's, we have we have you know, the one thing that they've shown that they're willing to spend money on is relievers. So do we really need to have all these uh, these guys that are project relievers? On the forty man, like a Yoan Ibar and an Anderson Severino. Although Anderson Severino is probably, I'm not saying, I'm just saying. Uh, to me, it looked like one of those. Uh, he's not throwing right, and the velocity's not there. Um, it looked like one of those things where you end up hearing like a, a month from now that he had successful TJ surgery. That's what it looked like. Now I could be a hundred percent wrong, and I have no inside information on this. Um, and now I need to. Uh, I'm going to actually uh, see if I can uh, finagle some answers here uh, tomorrow. Um, but it didn't. It didn't look good when some when a guy comes in after warming up and pitches two pitches and then gets pulled. 
that to me suggests there's something something pretty bad there. So uh, so you're not going to be able to get rid of them, but at least you can put them on the IL, um, which will open up some something somewhere. But I mean, like, you know, how many relievers do we need on the 40-man? Right. That's really what I'm getting at here. <laughs> Especially when they're willing to pay Joe Kelly and Kendall Graveman to come here, and they're so intent on not losing Jose Ruiz. Um, <laughs> she can't, she can't let him go. Um, they have to have Jose Ruiz. And I, you know, I will say with the addition of the, uh, the curveball and the changeup, he, he's gotten quite a bit better, but you know, like I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> that, that, uh, this, yeah. this, uh, this four, it just, it's every time somebody's like, Hey, we'll bring up so-and-so and bring up so-and-so. Okay. Well, that's cool. Who are you taking off the 40 man to do that? And it just, it seems like every time this conversation comes up, it's like the same couple names come up. It's always your mean Mercedes can be, be cut free. You know, I think that they could probably slip your mean Mercedes, you know, to just a, a, a regular, you know, they could slip them to waivers. I don't think that that's, yeah, yeah, I think I, yeah, Aaron, uh, Ryan Burr as well. You could probably get him through, I would think as well. Uh, I mean, you know, the Tommy John surgery has not been uh, kind to him, you know, like the stuff coming back to him, it hasn't, hasn't happened yet. And I know that Liam Hendricks was like super pumped about Ryan Burr before this uh, season started, but uh, the results have just not been there. And he's even said so himself in his post-game interviews that he just got, you know, lit up and didn't have it, you know, right. I've heard it several right. times. So some guys after TJ just don't come back. That's the way it goes. And I don't think that I, I you know, as he, you know, he had one half of a season that was pretty good. Like what? Three years ago. So yeah. Like what pretty are we, stellar, what are we doing but, here? You know, you know, I almost uh, said Aaron, but I stopped myself. Or the, uh, you know, there's a little bit of what have you done for me lately going. There has uh, to be. This is supposed to be a World Series contending team. If it's a World Series contending team, you can't have these projects eating up your 40-man spots. You need somebody that is going to provide you value. And there's like four or five spots on this 40-man that are just doing absolutely nothing for you. Right. You know? I mean – I, I know that and, you know. You know, I'm just, you contrary know. to popular belief, the window isn't going to stay open forever. As a matter of fact, clearly, in the next in the next two years, we're going to see some tough decisions that need to be made when contracts start coming up. And you know, with payroll the way it is now, you are not going to be able to keep everyone that uh, you would hope to keep. Now, I'm not saying you should keep everyone. There are some guys' contracts are going to come up, and you're going to say, hey, thanks for your time. Have a nice day. But, you know, uh, that does that mean that you're going to get the same type of player at the same type of value that you've been able to get over these last few seasons? And money's going to come into play, and this window is not going to stay open. And we see what teams like Detroit 
did this offseason to uh, try to make themselves better, even though they're probably not anywhere near the type of uh, competitive window that the White Sox are. Yet they're getting better in the division. Uh, Minnesota. They've actually been pretty terrible this year, but they made they made an effort. They made effort. That's, yeah. uh, they're, they're making an effort to be better in the division, I should say. that I, I You know you know what I'm getting at. Uh, you know, Minnesota has been perennial thorn in the White Sox side for a long time here. They uh, they stumbled a little bit last year, and they seem to be right back to uh, their old form this season. And they went out and they made some moves, and they're going to continue to do those things. So, you know, the reality to me is, is like you say, if you've got somebody on your 40-man roster that's doing absolutely nothing for you right now, and his only reason for being on the 40-man roster is because you believe they deserve a spot, and, they, you know, eventually maybe this guy will play for the White Sox. Yeah, that's the thing, is that they're the, that they're stashing him on the 40-man more or less because they don't want somebody else to have them. Then right. the fact that they're it, it's like it's like the little kid who is you know like he takes all of all of the toys from the sandbox and stuffs them all in his shirt not because he actually wants to play with them but just because he doesn't want anybody else to have them so he just starts stuffing right. everything in his shirt you know that's exactly right. what's going on here right and you know what like we said some of these guys are they're probably not going to get scooped up and they will pass through waivers. I, I, I did hear star? that everybody, they, they like, I don't know. everybody's <laughs> beating down the door to get Yohan Ibar. <laughs> you know, you can't take him <laughs> off the 40 man because you'll, you'll lose, you'll lose all of that. Because um, right, they want a guy who walks two batters in inning. Yeah, exactly. A, a guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A guy with a 1.9 whip. It's uh, <laughs> certainly on everybody's checklist of things that they want. Yeah, uh, you know, like I'm hoping that uh, that there are some decisions made, and some of these guys just get uh, taken off the forty man. I mean, there's just they need to open up a few spots, and that's because they've got a bunch of guys that they don't want to get rid of, or that they're waiting for them to uh, waiting for them to get healthy, like a you know, like Yas. Um, Josh Harrison, they're not going to let him go. They just signed Larry to a three-year contract for, I don't even want to talk about that again, but, um, you know, like you have guys that are just not producing like, yes, you, you want, yes, you want to keep around. You don't want to let him go and cost you a, a ton of money and he's not healthy. So clearly you're not getting him off the 40 man. You could probably put him on the IL for a little bit, but, uh, like if Harrison and and Leary don't turn it around here, you know, like you have to get, you know, I understand that you have that that you have need for utility guys, but if they are both of them together are just a net negative. What like you can't if you are trying to take this season seriously, you can't keep those guys around. You can't. And I don't care whether you know. I don't care if you owe Larry fifteen point five million dollars. I, I could care less. You just paid Keuchel that much to go away. So why not do it with Larry? Because other all that he's going to do other than this is just eat up three years on your payroll. You know. Well, we all know the answer to why that's you know 
happening at the moment. Yeah. He's family. Uh, if uh, you know, so <laughs> he's family. You know, I, all right. So because you brought that up, I, I'm going to shift gears just a little bit here again. Yep. You know, uh, we have been harping on uh, Mr. Larusa pretty rough uh, most of the year this year uh, for uh, obvious reasons. I, I feel like we don't need to explain ourselves on that. Although some fans will still, to this day, tell me that he's a Hall of Famer manager guy. I'm a Hall of Famer person, uh, Hall of Famer baseball person. You know, um, people know him. I really, I, I, I really don't, I really don't understand how anybody can defend this atrocious, atrocious attempt at, at, at calling yourself a, a major league manager. But I digress on that. You know, but here's the thing. Uh, so you know. Rumors are swirling that Tony's on the hot seat. And, you know, as White Sox fans, longtime White Sox fans, I got to say, I don't buy any of that garbage. And it's just really fan rumors more than anything. <clears throat> because when's the last time the White Sox fired a head coach or a manager in midseason? Can you honestly think when that was? Was it? I, I don't know. I can't remember. When, did, when was the last time we had an interim manager? Hmm. Right. Okay. So your science tells me everything. Yeah. Anyways, I'm trying to think. Is there, you know, if let's just say for some odd Renteria. crazy reason. Yeah. Renteria. Yeah. Renteria was a interim manager, but not, not in the same, not in that sense. Um, let me think here. Uh, yeah. I can't, I can't. Yeah. Uh, the, the, if for some odd reason that something crazy happens where Tony La Russa decides he's going to pack it up and call it quits or, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf isn't going to fire him, but maybe promotes him into a advisory role for the team. Does that change Leary Garcia's status on this team? What do you think? If if TLR's gone, um, if he's gone, or if he's you know, like I said, maybe he's his managerial position. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, we did have an interim manager for for uh, I think what is it, two games uh, when Don Cooper was the uh, stand-in manager when uh, Ozzy got uh, pseudo fired. I forgot about that. So technically, Don Cooper um, in yeah. 2011. All right. I, I but, guess if but, you're talking about the last two games of the but season. But yeah, that's that really still. What I'm getting at here. Yeah, still the same thing. Gene Lamont was the last one that got fired midseason. I mean, uh, which, yes, did go to Terry Bevington. Um, uh, Manuel was in 98, and he was here through 2003. So, but. Um, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily count that uh, that Don Cooper two games as a being an interim manager. It was more or less that uh, Ozzie Guillen and Kenny Williams were probably about ready to punch each other in the face, and they didn't want to have them in the same building. So that's probably more or less what that boiled down to, just a guess. Yeah, I mean, you know, two games left in the season. I wouldn't call that midseason. You know what I mean? It was already pretty much chalked up to be what it was. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, I don't, so. you know, to to answer that question, 
I think that after this year, if if he's if he's still bad all the way through this year, if Larusa's gone, then I I would not be surprised if Larry was too, because you know as we mentioned last uh, last stream pod, um, the only thing that this team's really churned out in the last couple of years has been. Uh, Utility men relievers. and relievers and a couple of <laughs> a couple of middling starters, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's what they're known for. It's what they do. Yeah. I mean, which, you know, makes sense why they spent money on utility guys and bullpen guys. <laughs> but uh, you know, whatever. Yeah, so um Yeah. I uh, I'm hoping that uh, this last series with Tampa is a uh, a springboard, and that uh, we're starting to see these guys start to feel a little bit more comfortable, and uh, hopefully TLR figures it out at least enough enough to at least put all the good players together, even if he doesn't want to put them in the same order. I don't care. At least get them all together, so at least there's yeah. a possibility of timely hits. Um, give me the best at some point. top half of the lineup you can give me. Like you said, shuffle those, you know, four or five, six guys, however you want to shuffle them, but just put them all in the top half of the order, and uh, you know, hopefully things will continue to happen for this team. You know, like we started off this this stream by saying things by the numbers look like they're getting slightly better. Uh, and it's been a trend that's been kind of slowly taking place over the last few weeks. Slower than we would like. You know, this isn't catching lightning in a bottle and all of a sudden becoming the most explosive team in baseball. But the trend is on an upward incline. And, uh, you know, just to wrap things up in a tight little bow, I hope that trend continues. And I am happy to see some positives come uh, as of uh, as of late. I still feel a little dirty um, you know, the, 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 and not dirty isn't like dirty, but, you know, kind of that violated dirty kind of feeling when I see some of these wins. Like, you know, okay, we got to win, but I feel like, you know, I need a shower just from watching the game. You know what I mean? Yeah. A couple of those, a couple of those Blue Jays games were, you know, the Cubs series felt that way too. Yeah. Oh, the Cubs series did not feel good. It felt like, uh, you know, like you know, you're fighting. You know, trying to you know watching some guy try and pick a fight with a a cripple guy in a wheelchair. You know, I mean, it's just like right. I I didn't feel good. I they should have won those games. I I don't feel any better. I mean, they should have won both. They should have swept them out. But uh, I mean, you know, I I didn't feel good about that win. As you know, as I know, you did not as well. Um, they should have won those games, um, and they should have certainly won them more convincingly than, you know, than they did. That uh, that extra innings win was embarrassing. Um, yeah. yeah, just it was you, like nobody wanted it. Yeah, really. yeah. The Cubs, the Cubs just managed to uh, do a better job at losing the game than the White Sox did. Um, right. I, you know, and Jake Berger said, you know, like we just kept on fighting, and I will say that you know that they didn't just pack it in right away and go away. But like my whole thought is that, you know, it shouldn't, never have, got sh- that shouldn't have been an issue in the first place, but, um, right. <laughs> but uh, you know, the, there was some really ugly stuff in the, in the blue Jays series. And um, 
you know, let's just hope that uh, things start taking that uh, that upward swing and that um, that they are tr- truly runs. figuring it out. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, you say that. Um, they're having little outbursts, I should say. They are. They're having some more of those outbursts like they did last year where they would score, you know, twice in a game. Um, over the last week and a half, I think they've scored in more than two innings, I think twice in a game. And uh, one of them was when they scored three runs, one in each inning. Um, so, you know, I it's just – I need to, you know, obviously we need to see more, and they need to, uh, yeah, Norhe Vera is back. He should be starting sometime this week down in uh, Kannapolis, I believe. Um, we will have highlights at Daily White Sox uh, on Twitter. Indeed. Um, probably some on the YouTube as well. Um, you can find a link to our YouTube on our page, uh, Substacks, Substack dot com slash white socks daily uh is our website and um you can find this in podcast form anywhere you find your podcasts um thanks for uh coming and hanging out and uh listening to us and uh chatting and um we do this thing every monday night uh you know, assuming that uh, life doesn't get in the way. But for the most part, we are pretty much here every Monday at 9 p.m. He did have a lat issue. He had a uh, a strained lat that put him out for approximately two months. Uh, and he's finally feeling healthy. Mm-hmm. He's been throwing in uh, Arizona for the last uh, three weeks, I think. Uh, throwing bullpens and uh, simulated games and whatever. Um, so, yeah, so come back. Catch us next uh, Monday, twitch.tv slash White Sox Daily. Uh, as mentioned, uh, you can catch uh, minor league highlights on our Twitter account at Daily White Sox. And um, my name is Ian Eskridge for my co-host, The Danny Miller. This has been another episode of White Sox Daily Live. You have a great night. Thank you very much.